pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Let me begin this show with an apology. (laughs) I am so sorry to be away for so long, right in the middle of a podcast series, but I'm back now, and let's just dive uh, right back in where we left off. We are doing the Autism Podcast Series right now, and this is actually one, two, three, four, the fourth show in this series. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the focuses or what you should work on when you are uh, working with a child, a very young child, a toddler or a preschooler with red flags for ASD. And this is straight from my newest treatment manual, the Autism Workbook. And you can get that exclusively at teachmetotalk.com. Uh, but let's kind of review where we are so that we're all on the same page. This is the fourth show. So this is show number 404. We started the show in this, uh, the shows in this series at 401. And I'm saying that specifically if you have, if you're just discovering this podcast, or if you, like me, have kind of been out of the loop for a little bit and you're jumping right back in, go back and watch and listen to show 401 first because there is where we discuss the official diagnostic criteria for autism with the focus on how to explain these characteristics to parents. Now, if you're a parent, that's going to be great information for you because if you haven't really understood what it takes to get an autism diagnosis or what the evaluators are looking for or your pediatrician or your therapist or whoever you're working with, that show will really help uh, you develop an understanding for what is autism, what isn't autism, what's part of this just kind of the late talker piece versus this overall developmental uh, picture that we see with children who go on to be diagnosed with autism. So that's a great show for that. There's a fantastic handout that looks a lot like this one because it's in the same podcast series that really outlines that official diagnostic criteria too. So if you are a therapist, that show is excellent information for you because you can use that sort of as your cheat sheet (laughs) as you are speaking with parents and having these really difficult conversations or even as you are thinking in your own mind is this child on the spectrum would this child get this diagnosis should I be making this referral and so you can really walk through that criteria it's all in a one-page form and again you get that with the purchase of CE credit uh, for therapists and a lot of times parents go ahead and buy the credit for that show and you can do that at teachmetotalk.com or if you're just listening here on YouTube the or, or listening on the podcast the link is in the YouTube description but otherwise go to teachmetotalk.com it's show 401 is where we're starting that and you can again get that great handout you'll enroll in the course and then you'll get an email with that information that lets you download that handout. All right, the next show in the series, we started talking about then once we looked at what the evaluation or assessment piece is, what do we do about it? And that's actually the most important information, the intervention piece. And so we started that three shows ago in show 401 where we talked about meeting a child where he is. And this is really the starting point for treating a child with autism. We do not, or anything, any kind of speech language delay, we don't start with the end result. We start with where children are. And that is such, the end result meaning what your goal is. So if you want a child to talk, you don't necessarily begin with teaching him to repeat words, right? And so we have to really walk parents through that and really talk about how we meet a kid where they are so that we can establish that relationship which leads us right into the next intervention uh, that we started talking about in show 403, and that's with social games and how we teach social games to really, really help children learn how to engage with us, help them learn that it's fun to interact And uh, that's just really forms the foundation for communication. Communicating always involves at least two people. And so with our little friends with autism, they are uh, really, really struggle with that interaction piece and that, that motivation to want to connect with other people, to want to listen to other people, to want to share experiences with other people. And so it starts really with that, like we talked about in show 403, just getting that playfulness and that back and forth going. And we're going to extend that topic today and talk about the next focus for children with autism that we really start to talk about 
or think about when we're working with them. And, and I've sort of combined these uh, two skills into one focus area because it's so hard to differentiate these and separate these. And when I did, let's talk about talking with um, the treatment manual from a few years ago and looking at the pre-linguistic skills that children need uh, before they master words. And this would be all kids, including those with autism, and looked at joint attention and turn-taking it's so hard to really separate those and so hard to really <laughs> tease those apart. What is this because it is, is this child not connecting with me because of this difficulty with turn taking or is it joint attention or what is it? And so I combined these focuses for um, this treatment manual when we did this. And so that's how we're going to talk about it today. And sometimes it seems like or can feel like that you are talking about two, diff two different topics but honestly you should know as a therapist the difference for how to explain those to parents but don't get so caught up in differentiating things and in teasing out these differences that you miss the big picture which is that we want children to interact with us and we want that reciprocity to develop and so that's really really what we're going to be talking about today so um, let's review what we're going to do we're going to begin by defining each of these super important language skills so what is joint attention what is turn taking then we'll talk about why both of these are super critical skills for language development and why we need to take these take a separate look at these and as I've said over and over now tease these areas out so that we can really focus on these and and help uh, help a child strengthen these skills and move along with these. We're also going to talk about the differences noted in kids with autism or kids who have red flags for autism in both these areas, joint attention and turn taking. And I'm going to help you decide if a child has difficulty with this by running through a set of questions. Now, as a therapist, you are certainly familiar with and aware of uh, the things that we do during an evaluation that would measure joint attention and that would look at turn taking but sometimes again we don't specify these skills and why they're important for language development for parents as as well or as in detail with parents as we should and so that's what we're going to look at so I'm going to walk you through a set of questions and these are the very same questions that you should use when you are talking to parents about joint attention and about turn taking and about the things that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks like play so that a parent can start to see some of these things too lots of times parents really don't understand what we're looking for and why these skills again are important for talking they think we should just be jumping right into words and so I'm going to help you run through this set of questions so that you can use this information with parents in your initial sessions to really and even as you're going through intervention and working with the child really helping a parent kind of see what you're seeing and look at what you're looking at so that they recognize the importance of these skills and will address these with as much uh, commitment as they have for teaching a child to talk and communicate and so parents have to understand that these are the foundational skills sometimes therapists have to understand that these are the foundational skills we do the same thing we skip straight to what that end goal should be without thinking about all the prerequisite components that uh, children have to acquire before they master language in a way so that they can use those gestures or actions or sounds and words and their little facial expressions communicatively and so that's what we're doing is talking about that and then we're going to finish up with very very specific strategies that you can use today <laughs> to help a child strengthen joint attention and turn-taking skills so you can follow along with your handout if you if you've already purchased your CE credit at teachmetotalk.com but it's totally not necessary for you to continue listening to this show or watching this show but I want you to be sure that you can have access that, to that in, written information if you want it uh, at the end of this presentation. All right, so let's talk first about joint attention. So what is joint attention? And sometimes when we say this to parents, they're really just focused on the attention part. But honestly, the word joint here is the most important word in that uh, definition of what we're looking for because we want that to be something that you are doing together. And so there are always, this is how I like to explain joint attention. And if you've heard me uh, talk about joint attention before or taken any of my other courses, you'll know this is how I always explain it. And this is what works for me to understand it and help parents understand it too. And certainly as I work with newer therapists. So joint attention 
always involves three components. It involves the child that you are working with is number one. It involves you as the other person, but you're always then, there's the third component with something that you are sharing or talking about or doing or something that we're going to talk a lot about today, showing, something that you are showing the child. And if you... Um, you will recognize when a child is exhibiting joint attention because he includes all three of those components. He's looking at you. Let's let's pretend that we are playing with a toy here. What do I have that could <laughs> serve as a toy? Let's say these are uh, pretend glasses instead of my glasses. So this is the the joint the the what we're focused on together. Your your joint object of attention. And so let's say that you're here. And so how do you know if a kid has joint attention? Well, he's looking at the glasses, and then what else does he do? He also looks at you. He also includes you. And so a lot of times what we see with kids is we show them, or kids with autism particularly, like we're talking about today, we show them something, or we, we want them to look at something, but what do they do? They immediately direct all of their attention to that object, and there is really... Uh, little evidence that they are including you too because they are looking at that object they're taking it from you they're sometimes they take it and do this and then immediately leave you out right so that you disappear with that and so when we see a kid with joint attention they're not doing that they're they may take the toy and want to play with it themselves but they're still including you they're still looking at you they're still listening to you if you say something like wow look at the wheels you notice their little eyes look right at those wheels they might touch the wheels they might do something with that but again there's obvious attention there and they also include you in that same experience so that's what we want to do make sure that we're um, seeing evidence of that because so many times adults are fooled into thinking that a child has mastered joint attention when he is not so this is what happens a lot of times uh, the kid is going to look at you where you direct him to look and then like we talked about that that's it it's over because they are so focused on what you're doing and a lot of times uh, again that's just kind of where it stops so when a kid uses joint attention he's looking at you he lets you direct where he should look so if you say to a child look and you're pointing at something he directs his vision there he doesn't go off and do his own thing he isn't continuing to do what he's uh, was doing when you interrupted his attention he directs that attention of what you want him to look at and that's really kind of how we assess joint attention right that whole and that's like on nearly every developmental assessment that we use with children is uh, directing their attention with a gesture, with a point, and seeing if they can follow your point there too. And so that's what we're talking about with joint attention. So now let's define turn-taking. So turn-taking means that a child participates in back-and-forth exchanges with you during play routines or other interactions. So it's not just you talking to him and and you know he has to do something and again and don't get confused with turn taking meaning that it's always talking that it's always verbal because we know that like every other skill turn taking emerges non-verbally first and so a turn can be something like a look a definitive pause where a child has stopped his activity and he's he's finding you with his eyes he's making eye contact he's looking at you for some children that's the turn <laughs> but we do want to help that advance beyond that so that a child can developmentally move up that rung of uh, each of those ladder rungs to get uh, to talking. And so um, with this turn-taking, you know, it does really evolve like that. It can be a look, an action, a gesture, and then we move to sounds and words. And so with kids with autism, a lot of times we're not, or red flags for autism even, we're not seeing that initial pause or that that that's something that indicates that they are truly engaged with you and that they are taking their turn and and that is again that's what conversation is based on we don't we don't have a conversation with somebody and without a first understanding that back and flow uh, nature of that exchange that we're supposed to listen when somebody else is talking and then we're supposed to attend to that and then when it's our turn, we talk or we do something or we, uh, again, have, have some presence there of something that we have done so that a, uh, uh, that's our spot in conversation. And a lot of times we don't see that with kids with autism. They are so focused on what they are doing or there's nothing beyond that initial kind of break 
they they don't continue with what should come next in that natural flow of interaction and so that's what we're looking at today so why are both of these skills important for language development Joint attention is important for language development because it means that a child understands the nonverbal methods of communicating, like pointing and showing, and he understands that when you try to get his attention, he's going to listen to those words that you're saying. And again, it's that listening piece that over time, because he's listening and because he's watching you and because you're sharing that experience, the words that you are saying start to have meaning. And he starts to make connections with what you were doing and what you were telling him. And so, again, he, he starts to associate hearing glasses with, oh, these are glasses. And so he puts that together. And joint attention really, uh, as I've said over and over and over, just about attention in general, it's the gatekeeper for all other skills. So unless you get that attention piece there and then the joint attention where you were sharing it together, there's very little opportunity for lots of, easy early mastery to occur because again kids can't learn how to follow directions and can't participate with you until they understand what those words mean and and what you're saying to them and they don't understand what those words mean until they've linked meaning with that and they don't link meaning with that until they stop long enough <laughs> to process what you've said and again uh, to help uh, that understanding and that comprehension develop. So that's what we're saying with that. So a child who doesn't have joint attention, so a child who who doesn't stop when his mom tries to show him something through the day, he misses out on hundreds of opportunities to learn language. And that's that's how babies learn language. When, we, when you think about typical development with how they are... Um, how we present things to them when they're babies, how we show them things. And again, that's a big, big part of joint attention. And it's a lot of, uh, a lot of kids with autism really are missing that, that kind of initial door, open door to language because they, they don't have that natural motivation or inclination. They're wired differently. So they're, they, they don't always have that, that initial step that gets them headed in the right direction to learning language. So I hope that makes sense to you. And as a therapist, I hope that you can figure out ways to explain that to parents so that they understand that these really are introductory skills or pre-linguistic skills. Let's talk about pre-linguistic skills. I've used that word a couple times. And as a therapist, if you're using that word too, that's, you know, professional jargon um, it's just part of our terminology that we use. Be sure you're explaining that to parents because that's not an everyday word, is it? So pre-linguistic means, pre means before in linguistic language. So what comes before words? We have to see these things happen first. And so uh, that's a way to kind of explain that to parents too. So what happens when a kid doesn't have good joint attention? Like we, we talked about um, following directions is super super hard and so kids end up with a massive receptive language delay because they're not following directions and a lot of times parents think about this and therapists can too just purely in terms of a behavioral issue oh he's not he's not doing what I say he's not uh following directions if you want to use the word like obedience he's not obedient he's not compliant if you want to use that kind of word whatever uh, however you want to think about that and a lot of times it's not that he it's it's not that he's being stubborn or he's being uh bad it's just that he he, he hasn't stopped long enough and and directed his attention long enough to somebody else to really understand what those words mean uh, when you're talking to him. And so until a kid can actively listen, he's not going to learn to link meaning to words. So for an older child, you can see how this whole problem would just accumulate. And over time, that's going to create academic problems and certainly problems developing relationships with peers when a child has difficulty uh, making that connection with other people and really purposefully sharing experiences and activities together. All right, so those are the problems with joint attention when children uh, are missing that skill. So let's talk about turn-taking. Why is turn-taking important for language development? I've said this already, but I want to repeat it so that you too can start using this as one of your taglines. It always takes two, at least two people to communicate. And so we've got to get that attention piece going and that shared experience. And then kids have to move beyond that and take their own turn in uh, conversation. So what, and, and, during communication. So what happens when kids don't take turns? 
when they're talking or even participating with you, well, exchanges feel very one-sided. And it can feel like that on the adult side when we're just doing all the talking, 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 talking. And children, again, aren't listening. There's not, uh, like we said before, evidence, you proof that they are doing anything that you um, are saying, that they are with you, that they are uh, talking about you there. And so it does feel one-sided because the adults are, are just doing all the heavy lifting with communicating there. We are exerting extra effort to sustain that interaction. I mean, sometimes with me, I feel like I have to break out in a sweat and, you know, just do everything before I can get a kid to connect with me. And, and that's even well before we get to the turn-taking piece. And so it can, it can be even one-sided on the other side. Let's look at our little friends with autism who are echolalic, which means that they use repetitive uh, speech or that they imitate or copy or repeat uh, whole paragraphs or even lines from a movie or a show or a book. And But a lot of times, most of the time with echolalia, um, it, there's no regard for who's listening to that or, or there's no, there may be no communicative intent behind that. And we, we're going to talk about echolalia in a later show and how we can work with that. And a lot of times it, it is a child's only means of communicating at the beginning. And they're trying so hard and we have to, we have to look at those a lot. Later on, look at those echolalic statements and see if there's uh, anything communicative in there. But a lot of times it's not. It's just for the child's own internal pleasure or motivation he likes it for whatever reason and so it's one-sided because he's it's like he's given a monologue <laughs> he's he's quoting his show or his but there's there's no looking at you to see your response for that it's not like a child who performs um you know as children typically developing children start to do this too in their preschool years they'll learn something or even even we have children do this and we do this as adults in plays and movies and where we are performing but when we're doing that we know somebody's watching us we know somebody's listening to us we're looking for that reaction when kids are echolalic, there's, there's, it's one-sided because they're a lot of times because they're, they're not really looking for your response in that, and so uh, the turn-taking piece is what helps us again with interaction and with that conversational, that reciprocity piece, that back and forth. All right, so that's why joint attention and turn-taking are prerequisites for communicating. And so, um, again, these are foundational building blocks. So it's not just that you get joint attention and turn-taking in and of itself. It's because they are the, 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 they have to come first and they are there at the beginning to establish that communicative pattern so that um, it's going to lead nicely to other things like imitation. Kids don't really move on to imitation until they've got the joint attention. They're looking at what you're doing. They're with you. And then they know that they have to do their part too. And that's where imitation comes in. So again, a lot of times the reason that kids aren't imitating yet is because they're missing joint attention uh, and turn-taking or those skills are so weak. We only see evidences of that just occasionally. So we want to strengthen these skills. And again, not for these skills in and of themselves, but because they are part of helping kids learn how to communicate and learn how to talk. So let's talk about the differences noted in kids with autism or red flags for autism with both joint attention and turn-taking. So one of the core diagnostic features for autism, and you'll read this right on your handout there, deficits in nonverbal communicative behaviors used for social interaction. And so that in, in the terminology that that's where they're they're picking this up so kids one of the ways that kids get diagnosed with autism is because or one of the reasons why is because they don't have joint attention or they don't have turn taking and so um, a kid may not seem to care <coughs> excuse me what you're trying to show him not look when you try to redirect his focus uh, with your words accompanied by a gesture like a point or you may refuse your overtures to interact. Another core feature of autism is inflexibility and difficulty responding to change in new or expected situations. And so this certainly is influenced when we look at turn-taking or when we look at joint attention. It can show up in rigidity in play so that a kid doesn't direct his attention to when another child comes up to him, approaches him, and wants to play with him, and a kid stays focused on what he wants to do or he's walking away. He doesn't understand that he can turn his attention to toward that other child. They can both look at the block. They can both look at the 
boat in the water. They can both splash. You know, you're, they're both doing the same thing. And so, again, that's one of the inherent uh, properties of autism. That rigidity really, really uh, can affect their, like I said, their play skills, their learning language skills, um, those things. And, and again, that's, that's part of the problem with autism. Another reason that kids with autism struggle with turn-taking and with joint attention is because of their sensory differences or how they process incoming sensory information. Now, if you're a parent and you're listening to that, you're thinking, what is she talking about? Incoming sensory information, that would just be anything that I perceive in my body through my senses, so things that I see. So right now, my incoming sensory, uh, uh, let's, let's do it for you, your incoming sensory visual information. So what are you looking at right now? What are you hearing right now? What are you feeling on your skin? Do you feel the heat? Do you feel, do you have a fan on in your room? All this income, what do you smell? Is something, are you cooking something in the background? Are you... You know, those things. So this is what kids, what all of us process, that incoming sensory information. And so a lot of kids with autism and kids who have other kinds of, it's not just kids with autism who have sensory uh, regulation problems or sensory processing problems, you know, uh, regulation meaning how I, how I keep my little body safe and comfortable in the midst of everything that's going on around me. And so kids with autism a lot of times really, really struggle with that, that kind of internal noise and how they, they're so that's all they can do is <laughs> really keep up with what's going on with them internally. And so that's where a lot of times we lose a kid with autism. He's not exhibiting joint attention. He's not turn-taking with us because all of his attention and energy is wrapped up in his own little system. Uh, he may be a sensory seeker, so he moves on to something else very, very quickly. He's always on the go. And again, that really, uh, he misses opportunities because of that because of that drive to go, 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 which a lot of times those children are really trying to calm themselves with that movement, but we don't really understand that. A lot of times as adults, as therapists or parents, and so we're teachers and we're focused on sit down, sit down, sit down, when that kid really needs to move, 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 and then his little body becomes regulated enough to sit down and, and listen. And so you can see that he's going to miss turn-taking and miss joint um, attention because of that sensory processing and sensory regulatory difference that need to go, 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 and that need to move. If they're sensory avoiders, kids may do the same thing. They may need time and just space <laughs> to process what you've said to them. And so they miss out on looking at uh, and sharing experiences with you because they have to have that time to kind of pull it all together before they're ready to really participate. And so sometimes those kids kind of shut down a little bit and then get themselves acclimated and ready. And then they're ready to look at what you want to show them or what you want to talk about. And, and that's sometimes where we lose a kid. Something else kind of happens in that process and that process is disrupted. And so sensory um, issues can be a big difference in why kids struggle with joint attention and with uh, turn-taking. So we have to get that we have to understand that piece so that we can adapt to that and help them learn how to compensate for that. And another reason, another difference noted in children with autism is, is that a lot of times they're more interested in objects than people. And so if they are focused, let's say, on a screen or on looking at, say, the wheels on a car or maybe they've gotten kind of hyper-focused on, let's say, if they were here with me and they were looking at the door and the hinge on the door, they're just so focused on that that it's hard for them to direct their attention back to you or back to people. And so that's certainly something that we have to know and uh, address. And a lot of times kids who... Uh, with autism, they don't even make it to the first turn <laughs> because they haven't stopped to know that you were trying to get their attention. So that's the, those are differences that we see in young children with autism. And again, that's why we have to work on these pieces specifically. And one thing that I want to say is these things do not get better without intervention. So don't fool yourself. Don't say, if you're a parent listening to the show and say, well, when he learns how to talk, that'll be better. No, <laughs> we have to look on the, we have to work on these skills and look at these skills first as nonverbal issues and then we move on to the verbal piece and then we move on to using those, uh, helping him learn how to use these things that he's developed uh, communicatively. So I hope that makes sense to you. 
All right, so let's move on now and talk about with a set of questions to help you determine if these skills are missing or weak in a child. Now, if you're a parent, you're going to be thinking about your own child. But if you're a therapist listening to this, remember that you're going to use these questions at not only as you think about the child, but as you talk with parents about their own children so that they can <clears throat> again start to see these skills and see why these are important and then this is this is how parents understand why you as a speech language pathologist work on more than talking when we do a good job of helping a parent really see gosh this is an issue she's right it's not just about talking he doesn't really he doesn't have joint attention he doesn't take turns with me this is all pretty one-sided with him and so this is how we help parents understand it. So we'll ask them, is it difficult for your child to stop, listen, and respond to you when he's busy with something else? Yes or no? When you point to something to show your child, does he continue what he's doing or does he stop and look? And again, is there some kind of proof? Do you see that he's done something? Uh, to indicate that he's with you. Uh, a lot of times I like to ask parents this question. When you bring out a child's favorite food or preferred toy or some kind of screen, the phone, do you seem to disappear because your child becomes intently focused on that item and no longer looks at you? Uh, another question is, do you have to work hard to get her to play a little game with you, like peekaboo or like giving you kisses? Does it take a long time to kind of get her going with it and then uh, does she stop after one or two little rounds, or does she want to keep it going? If you were playing a little game with her, um, I call it honking noses, or you know, play. Some kids I've called it beep beep on there, where I just want to tap their little nose. Do they want to do it back to me, or do it back to their mom? And so again, that need to keep things going. Once you get them, do they want to keep extending that and keep? Uh, do they want you to keep playing with them? Do they want you to keep doing what you've done with them? And so. That's a really, really important part or uh, an important question for helping parents determine turn-taking and think about it in that way. Another question, does a child seem to ignore you when you try to get her to make a choice or does she respond to your question even without words? And so sometimes the parent will you know, talk about that. And they're really, really concerned about that. They'll say, you know, I ask her a lot of things, but she just walks away. Or she just seems like she doesn't even know that I'm talking to her. A lot of parents will say that their children with autism at the beginning, they thought that they had hearing loss or they wondered if they were even deaf, couldn't hear at all. And so uh, because there was really uh, very little uh, attention or that very little evidence that that child would redirect his attention, especially when he was busy doing something else. And so if a parent answers mostly yes or even if they say sometimes, we know that a child is definitively having trouble with joint attention and turn-taking. And that, again, gives us an uh, opportunity to explain that to parents and why that's important for language development. All right, so let's spend the rest of the show. We've spent the first 30 minutes or so kind of looking at what joint attention and turn-taking are and we've talked about why they're important we've talked to, to language development and that a kid really we can't get there we can't get to words and understanding words and uh, the receptive language piece or the expressive language piece the talking piece without those foundational pieces with joint attention and turn-taking and so <clears throat> we want to uh, we've, we've talked about why that was uh, why that's important and then we talked about how those things are different in children with autism. And again, this is one of the reasons that kids get diagnosed with autism. This is one of the things that, one of the reasons that kids aren't learning how to talk. And so this is what we tie this back to for parents. And so we've done kind of the, the beginning piece, the assessment piece, determining if this is a problem or not. So now let's move on and talk about intervention. So what do we do to help children improve and strengthen their joint attention skills and their turn-taking skills. So the first thing that I'll, and we're going to review, gosh, one, two, I should have counted this before the show, huh? Three or four really specific things that you can do today that will uh, change this. And again, this is what you are, as the therapist, these are the things you're thinking, okay, when a kid has these things, what are my three or four or five things that I'm going to implement and then I'm going to teach parents to do. So the first thing I like to do with joint attention is really, really look at where the breakdown occurs with joint attention. And let me give you an example on this. And again, this is uh, straight from the autism workbook. If you want to see the this kind of written out, if you're a visual 
uh, learner and you don't really process information without looking at like have you have to see it first you know get that books that'll really help you so let's look at where the breakdown occurs with joint attention and so we're going to look for concrete ways that a child shows us that he's listening and including us so does he look at us, particularly our eyes as we talk? Does he follow when we point or we try to show him something? Does he then look at what we're talking about? A lot of times it's, it's, we'll work with a child who's struggling with joint attention and we'll point, uh, let's, you know, we'll point to something. We'll just use my Yeti here. We'll point to something and they really don't even understand what we're pointing at. They're looking all around and, you know, sometimes we just want to take their little heads and focus their attention it's right here that doesn't really work does it we want kids to do that themselves but uh looking at by, by looking at what we're talking about we want and then we want to see them alternate their gaze and and their attention between what we're showing them and us and are they able to stay with us that you know holding their attention to both the object and you throughout uh, that entire interaction for several minutes and then we want them to respond and so you can see a lot of times we're working on the response piece when we really the breakdown is occurring at levels before we even get to that responding piece so let's and again this information is straight from the autism workbook so I'm going to quickly run through what you would do so if you notice gosh he's not even really looking at me he doesn't even really know that I'm talking to him I don't really see any awareness there that's the first thing you you don't work on that response how we talked about at the end you work on that first little piece and so for those kinds of kids you might have to really back up to the social interaction things that we talked about in the last show in uh, teaching social games so that you've got to get him connected with you so that he's alerting to you so that he's aware of you and and as a therapist I mentioned this example before but you're probably really familiar with this sometimes you're with a kid and you think gosh it has taken me 20 minutes to get him to realize that I'm in the room <laughs> so that's your first piece and and that's where what you want to do so how do we help kids learn how to respond to us well we do the social game piece and another thing that i like to do here after a kid has done a lot of social games with me like we talked about in the last show let's say that he really loves the game um <clears throat> loves a little game like row row your boat with me or um, a little game like ride a little horse or ring around the rosies how do i work on joint attention with him and turn taking will you play that game with him two or three times the things that he likes to do and then you try to get up and move away see if he's going to pursue you <clears throat> to want to keep that interaction going and again that's the turn-taking piece and that's him that's him really really uh, getting in there and doing his part where he might I can notice a kid like this if I've played ring around the rosies you know four or five times you know I'm dying and need 911 because we've <laughs> falling down several times and he just wants to keep doing it again and again and again that's a kid who has fantastic turn taking and if I think you know he's he's with me the joint attention is the activity that we're doing and so that's what we want to see there with we're just to keep keep that little thing going and so I might try to even sort of move away uh, or might try even a little hide and seek game that kind of thing when he has been intensely involved with me and intensely attentive <laughs> that's when you want to kind of extend it beyond that how can I change this just a little bit to see if he'll continue to focus on me so little games like hide and seek are so fun for that and so even if you are just like not really hiding going into another room just moving away from him and saying can can he pursue me will he when when he's doing this will he um Will he try to kind of keep this interaction going? Will he do something to come get me, to look for me, to respond to me? Now, our colleagues that are ABA therapists, Applied Behavioral Analysis, and, and as a speech-language pathologist, boy, it is so easy to bash ABA <laughs> because a lot of times we don't understand it. And, boy, I did it a lot earlier in my career. And then uh, a therapist so, so wise came up to me at the end of one of my conferences and said, you know, I know what you're saying about ABA, but Laura, do you realize how much ABA you're using? You're doing a lot of motivate, reinforce, motivate, reinforce, motivate, reinforce. And that's, that's what we're doing here. And so when we have a kid who isn't responding to us with his attention and with turn taking, that's what we have to do is figure out how do I reinforce this? How do I reinforce this attention? So an ABA therapist in this situation, when they're working on joint attention and working on um, turn taking and there and ABA therapists are so good too at breaking down 
all these skills like we're talking about with joint attention with what are these components and then they teach a kid that first little component and reinforce and then you build up you expand that to the next little component and then you reinforce and so that's basically what we're doing here too so with a little hide and seek game how do we reinforce that that child has uh found us or attended to us or stayed with that game or whatever so you've got to do something that they like there you know you might think about uh, an ABA person if a kid likes food that's why they're giving out the goldfish or the cookies or whatever because that's what that kid likes we might have a kid that really really loves um, physical contact and so for those kinds of kids if you're playing a little game like hide and seek or where they've joint attention has been <clears throat> terrible for them and you uh, really really struggle for them and so you're pointing to something and you are looking at something and then they look how do you reinforce that you you give them what they want so you pick them up you squeeze them you do something like that and so again I don't want to really uh, belabor this point but we have to reinforce that attention so that they understand uh, and they they um, they want to do it again because you have rewarded their attempts, and so that's something that we need to remember too. Anytime something is hard for us, we need a reason to keep doing it. And so responding and interacting and uh, just the whole again paying attention to something that I don't necessarily want to pay attention to with autism is a struggle. It is hard for those kids, and so uh, their little systems are not the same. As what you would expect from another child and so their responses aren't going to be the same and so we really have to think about what's in it for that kid and and give them that as their reinforcement and so if a kid likes that that physical activity and and for joint attention they usually don't look when you call their name they usually don't look when you try to show them something be sure that there's something in it for them beyond the blah 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 hearing your words that's you know kids with autism aren't as reinforced by your words <laughs> as a child with typical language development would be and so we've got to we've got to really um, re reinforce their attempts to even look or attend or whatever it is whatever piece that we've tried to uh, pull out from from sharing an experience with us so that that's what i wanted to say the next little piece does she seem to look up and respond when you call her name or does she seem to ignore you and so again this is we've got to reinforce 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 when she when, when this is the problem with the kid we teach them to respond to their names uh, more regularly and that's not what this show is about. And I've, I've already kind of talked about this in the previous point, but you've got to figure out, oh, am I going to need to pick her up and swing her around when she looks at me when I call her name? Am I going to need to give her uh, as motivation here to help her learn her name? And again, we're going to back this way off as we go. But at the beginning, does she need to be reinforced with, say, a drink from, uh, as a mom, a drink from my cup? When she, she looks at me, I'm going to reinforce her like that, like we talked about before. And so anything does she respond like if she's sitting and playing and she doesn't respond if i say her name will she respond if i sing her name can i make that change and make it a different make a difference there and so again this is what we're doing when we're isolating these little pieces uh to help determine what's going wrong with joint attention why can't this child listen and look up and stick with me and redirect her attention it might be that name piece that we really need to work on at the beginning it it could be that children actively listen when we start to talk they've alerted to their names they're starting to look you know when we're saying look and point but then after we say a little bit that we lose them so what's happening there that's usually because a kid's attention span is super super short or it could be because you are boring <laughs> and you've got to really amp up your excitement level and your affect so that a kid um as again, a reason to stay there, you're keeping them enticed, you want them with you. It could be that you are talking too much, you were saying too much, so you sound, you know, like the the example that I use all the time that uh, sometimes younger uh, kids don't really know, the Charlie Brown teacher, the wah, 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 wah voice in the background, you, you just might as well be, uh, you know, the evening news to a child when you are talking like that because they have tuned you out those words don't mean anything to them and so it could be that you need to simplify that you need to uh again make just even insert a little dose of excitement into your voice to get a kid to want to stay with you and so instead of 
saying something like, hey, do you want to bite of this apple today? Would you like some apple? You know, you need to be saying something like, ooh, apple, see? Mmm, want some apple? And so you immediately increase the chances that a child will participate with you and will understand your words because you've simplified it. You've made it made uh, that uh, more likely uh, that she'll continue to uh, stay with you and, and process your words. And like we talked about before, link meaning because you haven't messed it up with way too much stuff. Does the breakdown occur after she's listened for a while? And again, that might be because you've lost her interest or you've overloaded her ability there. And then sometimes it's not that a kid isn't listening or doesn't understand your words. It's just that they don't understand what to do next. And so with those kinds of kids, what do you do? You model that next response. So sometimes, you know, it's even something as simple as shaking your head yes or no or a smile or reaching out to take the item that you're trying to show them or or just whatever it is there. A lot of times we'll see, well, a kid, he seems like he wants to say the word. He wants to do what comes next and he just doesn't know what it is and so sometimes that's where joint attention that that's the piece that's really really missing uh, and so again look at where those little breakdowns are and then figure out okay how can I target that what are some strategies that I can do here that's going to make that little piece easier for him and that's what you do so that's your first um, strategy for kids who um, aren't exhibiting joint attention is where where is that spot that I need to work on and so if that's been a little fast that review there that's an autism workbook so get that get that manual and take a look at that for yourself all right so the next big intervention that we want to do for joint attention and I love this one is show hold and give routines and so those are your keywords here show hold and give so what are you doing with this so we are helping a child Again, uh, participate. We're teaching them how to look at it, how to do something with it, and then the turn-taking piece, how to give it back to me. So it's kind of all wrapped up in one there. And when I introduce this to parents, that's what I say is I'm going to teach you how to do show, hold, give routines. And I want you to do this all day long. And I talk with the parent about how this looks in an interaction and try to kind of give them an example. Diaper changing is the one that I use all the time, and it's certainly the example that I use in the autism workbook where we walk through that. So uh, for diaper changing, we might say something like, um, oh, you know, oh, you have to change your diaper. Whatever you say, you know, you're stinky, ooh, or you're wet. Whatever you say, you're yucky. You need a new diaper. And so um, you're going to show a child the diaper and then look, it's here. Here it is. There's the diaper. It's time to change your diaper. You show him diaper and then you let him hold the diaper as you are, you know, getting him down on his back so that, you know, he's going to lie down there and you're going to get ready to change him he's holding that diaper there you're still talking about the diaper and then when you get ready you need that new diaper then he's going to give that diaper to you and so um, I, he's participated in that you've shared that experience there because he's he's doing something with you he's directed his attention when you've shown him the diaper you've held it up you've pointed he's looked at it you've given it to him he's taken it he's going to hold it again that's his part and then at the end we want the turn-taking part what does he do he gives it back to you and so you can do this all day long with uh, items you can do him this with him with um, when it's time to drink when he needs something uh, a new drink he's gonna you know show him his empty sippy cup let him hold it while you get the milk out and while you unscrew the top and you're saying look we're gonna pour it in your top you take or pour it in your cup you take that cup from him you pour it in and then you give it right back or he gives you that cup for you to pour it in he's really actively participating with that I'm sorry I said that wrong and so um super super way to really use show hold and give all day long and again why are we doing this we're developing joint attention we want his attention focused on the same thing that my attention is focused on and we're going to share that together and so and why do we need that joint attention piece because until he can listen he can't really link those words and until he can link meaning with what you're saying to the words until he really understands every time you say diaper it means that white thing that goes on his bottom <laughs> that's the prerequisite for understanding words and he he has to understand what a diaper is why before he can say the word diaper and so show hold and give 
This is how you explain it to parents. It really forms the foundation for him learning how to understand and use words. And so talk to parents again about how they can do this all day long. Look at the examples there in Autism Workbook so you can walk through that with bath time, with getting dressed, with all those daily routines that parents have to do. And again, show, hold, to give perfect way to target joint attention in uh, daily routines with parents. Another thing that I do in sessions, kind of following a, a, a following along these same guidelines with show, hold, and give, uh, use toys that uh, really, really, really uh, have super fast turns and that a toddler needs my will need my help to do. And so like a wind-up toy. A kid can hardly ever do that himself. So I'm going to wind up the toy, you know, sh show him the toy, hold it, wind it up, give it to him. He's going to watch it. We're going watch to watch it do whatever it does. If the dog jumps, if the toy soldier, you know, waves his arms, if the car rolls, whatever. At the end of it, we want him to what? Give it back to you. And so that that if he wants to continue the activity, he's going to need some help for it. And so that turn-taking is naturally built in then. So that's another, uh, maybe a more practical thing for you to do during sessions rather than sh the show, hold, and give. Another tip that we want to use here, this is actually our third intervention for joint uh, attention and turn-taking, is using a child's hands. Um, because his, why do we do that? We, his eyes are going to follow his hands. So when we want him to pay attention to something, when we want him to notice something that we're trying to give him or, or maybe not give him, but get him to pay attention to, put his hands on it. So if I want him to look, and some of you are thinking, no, I don't want to do that because he's going to grab it and run away. Well, this is, I get it, but this is with finesse. And right now we're working on what? The first part of this, getting him to really attend to it. And so uh, I would tell you in that situation, just don't give it to him. Don't let it go. If he tries to grab it from your hands, just hold on tighter. <laughs> but you want him there. A lot of times, unless you are putting his little hands right there, he's not going to look at it. He won't He won't see what you're trying to show him. And, and we talked about that before. Sometimes when we're trying to turn a kid's head and focus, that doesn't work. But but this really will, with putting his little hands right there and helping him uh, redirect his eyes. So uh, don't overcorrect and go when here. Don't do a whole bunch of my turn, your turn, because that really sets kids off. They think that they're not going to get a turn. So just sim simply when you're trying to do this and get a kid not to run away with the object, you just want to show him. You want to show him how to show you something or show him how to participate when you show him something. Hold on to the item, but stick to comments about the item that are, you know, really general that aren't, again, aren't going to set him off like, wow, I like it too. See, that's cool. And then move on to whatever your next little thing is that you're going to do with it. But keep insisting that you get to hold and look at the item too. Don't give up your territory because, again, when... When a, kid, when a kid grabs the item from you and runs away, that's not joint attention. So you really want to help a kid uh, learn to stay there with you and, and, and not get too upset, not fall apart during those situations. All right, so let's talk about then some, a couple, the couple of other strategies that I want to review before we get to the end here. We have about 10 more minutes. These early turn-taking games... <clears throat> And so these are something that you're going to want to teach parents to do all day long, and you do them as well in a therapy session. So to begin this process, what do you do? When you have something that a child doesn't necessarily want but seems interested in, don't place it in his hand right away. And what I'm saying by the don't, something that he doesn't necessarily want but he seems interested in, you're not going to want to use his very favorite thing for teaching him these uh, tra little trading games, these fast trading games where he wants to give, he can give something back to you. Why? Because he thinks that you're going to take it. He thinks he's never, ever going to get it back. So do something, use a tool or a toy or something that he, uh, again, is interested in but not completely obsessed with. Uh, but he, here's my point here. Don't place it in his hand. When he um, want something from you like that, hold the item out, but wait for him to take it. Because why? We want him to do a part in this, in this turn-taking part. So when he's reaching for the object, he's now actively and intentionally taking a, a turn. And so here we want to do something with uh, our, our turn here is just, again, the fast trading. This gets kid in the ha kids in the habit of giving it right back. And so 
Then when he has it, he looks at it. You want to then hold out your hand to see if he's going to give it back to you. And so uh, we're going to repeat this process a few times. Now, I, I realize in talking about it, I may have made this harder with my words than it really, really is. But what we're doing here is we just want to teach a kid to, they get something, they look at it, they give it right back to us, we look at it, they give it, and it's just that back and forth. And and uh, so many of our little friends with autism have a big problem with hoarding toys or with uh, not wanting anybody else to, again, like we talked about before, they get something and then they immediately turn away. They're not even doing it like that, like I'm looking at you being real coy doing it. They're not doing that part. They're just getting it and going, going so that it's, you know, they're hunkered down on it with themselves. And so... We can't, like we talked about, I think that I've messed it up with my explanation. You're going to want to use something that they can uh, that they can give right back to you. So this just might be something interesting. And I've just used stupid little things like a receipt from my purse or, you know, a, a piece of paper or a sticky note. Something that they have that they're just mildly interested in. And you, you pick it up, you give it to them, you let them look at it, you take it right back from them. And you develop that fast turn-taking all day long. And this is the, uh, this is again, every kid doesn't need this. We're, this is not something that we're gonna do with our, our little guys who are further along developmentally. These are techniques that we are doing for children and strategies we're using when children aren't turn-taking with us and aren't exhibiting joint attention. So when you have a kid, again, who's really disconnected from you, who's really kind of doing his own thing through this session, doesn't really stay with you, that's when you use these little strategies and these little things. And so it might just be, again, something that you're sitting there playing with. I've done it with kids with puzzle pieces. They're not too interested in the puzzle and getting it in the right spot. But, boy, they'll hand it to me. We'll do that little back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and, again, you can see how nicely this leads to imitation. So let's say that you've got – let's say you've done it with a puzzle piece. And I, I uh, remember – this from years and years ago. Doing this with these little girls, they were a set of twins. This might even be on. This might even be in Steps to Building, uh, Verbal Imitation and Toddlers, that video and that course, where they don't want to play with the puzzle in the right way. So we moved on and did some turn-taking things with this, where at the beginning I was handing them the puzzle pieces and they were giving it back to me, and then we started doing unexpected things. So then I put the puzzle piece on my head, then I kissed the puzzle piece, then I put the puzzle piece, you know, bounced it on my knee, and they did these things too. So you can see it's that we get the joint attention going, we get the turn-taking going, and then what happens? Imitation comes in. So lots of these little games that you're doing with these little kids, again, that aren't naturally engaged with you, this is how how you get him there. You say, Laura, how in the world am I going to get this kid to imitate actions with the objects? He does not pay attention to me at all. This is how you get there. <laughs> you start with something like this and then you just move it right on up. You work through those processes together. All right. One more thing that I want to mention is when we're doing this with kids, with this turn taking, one thing that we can do is imitate what they do. And this is called reciprocal imitation. But we have to be sure that we are matching our terms with these toys here so that if we have moved on and we are doing something like playing with cars or playing with trains and we want to get in there with the kid and he's hyper-focused, kind of his attention is fixated on what he's doing and he's not letting you be a part of that, you've got to match what he's doing. So if he's rolling the car you want to do it with them. Don't take his car and drive it all around the den before you want to give it back. You're going to just give that car a little bit of a push and then you've matched what he's done, but you've kept your turn always the same as what he's doing, but a, a shorter, so really, really brief, so that you can get in there and give it, get your turn and then give it right back so that he, he doesn't think that you're going to want to keep it forever. He knows that you're on his side and that you're interacting with him and you're playing with him. And so, so you want to keep your turn super, super short. So if he's drawing with something, drawing with a marker there and you want to do it, Take your marker, make one little line, and then give it right back for him to get right back in there. You're not going to disrupt the activity too much. You're not going to prevent his next turn. All you're trying to do is join in. You imitate what he's doing, but you don't take that over. And again, a technique, that's, that's from Dr. James McDonald in his wonderful book called Play to Talk. It's an older book, but it's just, just excellent and learning how to match your turns and balance your turns so that you as the adult aren't always the boss all the time. Just that back and forth, that balanced power there as you're sharing. All right, so I've given you a lot of information with this show today with turn-taking and joint attention. I hope that it uh, will help you as you get started in your work with children with autism.
uh, treating autism can be super, super hard. Even if you're a therapist who's, you know, got some years under her belt like I do. Um, and so let me help you with that. The Autism Workbook is a super uh, method for developing speech therapy treatment plans for toddlers and preschoolers with red flags for ASD. There are 12 different focuses in this book. We talked we talked about three of them now, about um, meeting a child where he is, uh teaching those social games first, and then today we talked about joint attention and turn-taking, and these are all very, very sequential skills and, again, foundational pieces. And unless we are looking at language development kind of from that, uh, the, the beginning, the starting pieces, the prerequisite pieces that are missing, a lot of times we don't see success in our children with language delays and particularly autism because we're not being comprehensive enough and we're not looking at those, those foundational pieces as closely as we should. So I hope the Autism Workbook will help you do that as you uh, continue your own work with children, either as a therapist or as a parent. All right, so you can get information about that book at my website at teachmetotalk.com. You can get the $5 CEU credit if you're a therapist there or if you're a parent and just want to get your hands on this handout, uh, that's how you do it there too. All right, so that's it for today. Next time, we're going to talk about play skills and autism, and it's going to be a lot sooner. Uh, we won't have that big gap that we had um, before. So thanks so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and you have just watched or listened to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Thank you.